It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports editor and columnist, along with Rick Broering. Each week, we look at sports topics locally, and we got a lot of them this week. Maybe a national topic or two. We've got a gambling segment and my favorite segment of the podcast where you can ask me a question. Hashtag ask skinny anything. It is NCAA tournament time, Rick. It's a weird NCAA tournament because we should have already had been played the first four. As we're recording this podcast, we should normally be just hours away from uh, the big day uh, starting. But instead, it is a weird NCAA tournament where before we do this podcast, they haven't even played the first four yet. But it's yep. still we've got <laughs> NCAA basketball coming up. Bobby Regan, our guy Barstool Regs, uh, tweeted something this morning to the effect of my stupid body clock thinks it's the actual tournament today. Uh, you know, and that like I have the same thing going on right now. Like I'm all juiced up. I'm ready to go. Uh, I'm ready for the games to start at noon, but I'll just take the fact that it's starting period today. You know, it's good enough for me right now. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And I did watch a little NIT last night, so that got me a little, for you. A, little, a, little, a little feel for postseason you, basketball. You, you had a little action on that, I'm going to assume. Uh, I might, maybe it's possible <laughs> go Richmond spiders. That's all I can tell you. All right. Well, skinny, let's jump right into some college basketball talk because despite not having any teams in the NCAA tournament, it's actually been a huge week for the local college basketball scene in Cincinnati. I, in fact, I can't really remember a time it's carried the local conversation in terms of sports talk. Like it has this week, Cincinnati has really stolen the headlines, but not for the right reasons. The Bearcats saw six players enter the transfer portal over a three-day stretch, leaving John Brandon and his staff with just four scholarship players in David DeJulius, Micah Adams-Woods, Jeremiah Davenport, and Victor Locken. Skinny, there's a lot of ways to go with this one, but I'll ask you simply, where do the Bearcats go from here? What's next? Uh, they better start finding a way to fill that roster for next year, right? Um, I the, the the wild west of the transfer portal has just gone on steroids, especially for UC. Um, and I think I read this the other day, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. You might have seen it too. I, I think we're at over 200 more guys in the transfer portal now than we saw a year ago. And and obviously, there's some guys that can also come back. Um, they're going to fill a roster. It's a matter of are they going to fill it the right way? Um, are they going to be able to fill it with enough guys that can can win games? And the big question is: Is John Brandon going to be the one that's going to be able to fill it? Right. I mean, th- this is strange to me. Uh, does does he survive this? I think right now the university is looking into the situation as much as they can, trying to figure out what exactly happened. Was there something egregious? Was there something bigger? Right. Because right now it, that doesn't seem to be the case, at least not to our knowledge. I know there's been some rumors and scuttlebutt out there, but in terms of what's actually been reported, people that are around the program, no one has said that they think there was like some abuse going on or some something crazy or outlandish that was said in terms of being super abusive to the players. I think, you know, I, I, I don't like calling people good or bad people. I think we're all a collection of the decisions we make throughout our lives. You know, some of, some of our decisions are good. Some of our decisions are bad. Um, some we regret, some we would like to have back. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. And I'm sure there's things that, you know, John and his staff did this year that they'd probably like back judging on how things have gone right now. They, they clearly didn't get the right connection. The, they didn't have the right vibe with this group of players, but from what I've known of John Brandon, he's always been a, a really good guy to me. I mean, he's always been uh, good to his players at NKU from what I know. Like I, I don't know anything to think like this is some 
terrible situation where they were doing bad things here. You know, I think for the most part, from what I can tell, and again, maybe more will come out that we don't know about, but from what we've heard so far, this feels a lot like a perfect storm scenario. Yeah, and I, and I was talking to somebody last night about this, and I said, listen, if you took all these transfers in a vacuum, you can you can explain them all away, and, and let, let's, let's do that for a second, right? Zach Harvey took his ball and went home, right? I mean, in theory, he wanted to be able to do more offensively and, and, and probably get more playing time, so he took his ball and went home. Mamadou Diara um, opted in, opted out, opted in, opted out, shake it all about. Um, it's no great loss for him. So, okay, so there's two that we're at. Uh, Gabe Madsen left, and so then his twin brother decides to leave. Okay, two guys that brothers, twin brothers, one leaves, you think the other might probably follow. Um, then you've got, I'm drawing a blank on a couple, on two of the others. Who else am Tari I missing Eason. Here? Yeah, Tari Eason's the one outlier. But you could also argue this is a kid from Washington who maybe has decided, yeah, I'm, these guys are going. I'm going to I'll go close. Maybe he'll go to Washington or Washington State or somewhere back in the Pac-12, Pac the Conference of Champions, and go see Bill Walton. Um, and then I'm missing one other one. But, but Mikey Saunders, which is really Mikey Saunders. that's the most concerning one because that's yeah. the, the guy that John had the relationship since he was in middle school with. You know, he's talked about him just within the last few weeks saying he's going to be an elite point guard and the future. But, 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 but then I'm watching, but then I'm watching him on the bench at the end of the Wichita game where he wasn't in, in a, in a close game, kind right. of shaking his head. Actually, the camera goes to him at one point. Mikey Saunders is shaking his head. Like, why am I not in, um, you know, was, was that just an isolated incident? Was it a kid who just, you know, wanted to go help in the, in the moment, couldn't understand why he wasn't in. And we've all done this as coaches of, Hey, you know what? I got a group in there right now that I like. They're playing well. It's not a knock on. I can only play five of you. It's not a knock on you. Um, okay, so yeah, that one maybe is a little concerning. But if you take them all in a vacuum, right? It's there's nothing egregious there. You can almost explain them all away. But when you do the collection of six in a 24 hour period, that's alarming. Yeah, and and like obviously, it, there's been enough coming out from the parents of these players, from these guys sending DMs to people that have appeared online now in, in public forums that they weren't happy with the coaching staff. One, one way or another, the trust was lost. The relationships were beyond repair in the, the opinions of these kids. And, you know, it's, it's tough to assign blame, but anytime you've got a situation like this, it's on both sides. Now there sure. can be, there can be a percentage. Maybe it was 90% on the staff and 10% on the kids. And a lot of times you're going to look at that situation and say, look, you're supposed to be the leaders. You're supposed to be the adults in the room. You're the one who are, you're the ones getting paid millions of dollars to figure that out. And so most people are going to put a lot of blame on the staff and that's fair. Uh, but I also think we're in a totally different day and age in college basketball, especially with everyone being under the, uh, the belief that, this one-time transfer rule is going to go in effect for next season because all the transfers this year got a blanket waiver. And I think everyone believes that if you've already done it, you can't go back on that. You know, you, you've said you're moving towards that rule. You did it for this past year. And even though you were in a pandemic, you're not going to take that away. So everyone believes right now that they're going to be immediately eligible as soon as they transfer. And I think that makes these situations different. You know, it's, it's a lot easier to get into these tiffs with your coaches and just say, I'm done and I'm not coming back because there's no, there's nothing keeping you there at all. You know, there's no penalty at all. Back in the day, it was a lot of guys would transfer and we were getting to a point where more and more guys were going to transfer and try to figure out a waiver or whatever. But 
it was still the possibility that you're going to have to sit out and maybe lose a year of eligibility with that. You, you take away your chance to redshirt. A lot of guys didn't want to do that. So there was still a, a, something there that made you want to fight through it. And, and you weren't likely to have six guys transfer at once like this. So we are in a different era in that regard. I think anytime you get a guy who's fairly talented, that's coming from out West and he's coming to this area in the Midwest, you got to wonder why that's happening. And with his mom, you, you know, I mean, not, not trying to hold her against the kid, but there's certainly some very opinionated stuff going on. And, and she's very overwhelming with how she handles herself. And Mike Saunders family seems to be in a very similar boat with how they've handled themselves online. So uh, those two room together. I think you had some really tough situations. I think you have a young staff and you look at John's assistants, you know, uh, G has a lot of experience, but he hasn't really coached at this level before. The other guys are really young. You have to wonder, did they get too caught up early when the team started struggling and just scouting, watching film and not, you know, worried about the wins and losses and being tough on their guys and not realizing the human aspect of what was going on behind the scenes with the kids were isolated. They didn't have any relief. They didn't get done with practice thinking F coach and then hung out with their buddies or hung out with some girls or went to the movies or went to a bar. And then when they came back the next day, they were in a great mood. You know, they just went to a dorm, maybe talked to some helicopter parents uh, that were flying in and, and making these crazy outlandish opinions and then posting them on social media. They dwelled on these thoughts even more and more and came back to practice the next day, even deeper in their head and, and in the F coach mindset. And I, I think that was probably a, a really difficult thing for all parties to deal with. Yeah. But then I also look back and go, okay, so how does a team that's dealing with this make a run to the championship game of the AAC? How does that team not just check out in game one? Yeah. And a lot of people seem to think, you know, the players, bonded together on their own they you know justin williams i believe reported that there was a players only meeting yes and at that point the guys you know i think a lot of people are thinking the guys just said hey we're gonna play for ourselves play for our own status if we're gonna enter the transfer portal so we're appealing to other teams and i think you also have to look at it and say hey john brandon can coach the issue here is not that yeah. John Brandon can't coach basketball. His teams usually get better. His teams usually play their best basketball at the right time of the year, and they did again this season. They made a run in the AAC tournament. Now, you know, you can you can look at it and say they should be beating a lot of these AAC teams, but look at all the adversity they dealt with throughout the season and, and how many times this team and this group could have folded and just been done, and it could have been a, a total disaster to finish the year. That didn't happen. They got much better towards the end of the year and found a way to win some close games that they weren't winning earlier in the year. So I think you have to give all parties some credit there for figuring out a way. And again, I do not think coaching is the issue with John Brandon. He's a proven winner. The the issue right now is that he's got a really difficult roster situation. I mean, that, that doesn't even do it justice. It's, it's kind of a disaster in terms of a roster situation. Um, You've got two guys. I think you can rely on and David DeJulius and Jeremiah Davenport. Uh, Mike Adams Woods is, you know, maybe a, a decent backup. And at least he's who, a rotational guy, but yeah, who knows what you have with Victor Locken, assuming those, all four of those guys remain uh, on the roster. But after that, like you said, skinny, I mean, do you think he can go in and, and bring in transfers and convince guys to come into the program after what just happened? 
Uh, I think you always can because, you know, l- listen, it, it, when you're talking about the transfer portal, they all can't go to the same places. So there's always going to be uh, some people out there. There's also going to be, listen, this is still a, a proven program uh, with some tradition, with a nice facility now in a major city. I mean, there, there are positives, obviously, to recruit to, but, uh, you know, it's one thing to get three guys to fill that. You need six, seven, eight, nine guys to fill that. Boy, that's a lot. Right. And that's I'm with- a lot. I'm with you. They're going to be able to convince guys to come there. They've done it in the past. I like, I don't think they're just not going to be able to recruit all of a sudden because six guys transferred. I think everyone looking around the college basketball landscape realizes that this is kind of the new wave. This happens and, and maybe not like this, but you, it's not rare to see three, four five guys from the same school transferring. We've seen that the last few years without everyone under the opinion that there's going to be a blanket waiver. So I think that this the staff will be able to convince guys. The problem is, like you said, they're really having to thread the needle now because you've already seen how difficult it can be to bring in transfers that are immediately able to contribute at your level of play. And you're going to have to do that with at least three or four significant contributors. That's going to be tough. I, I And you have to win right away. You don't have any more wiggle room. There's no, you know, assuming they, they, keep keep the staff which at this point i would assume they will based on what we know you don't have much room to struggle and say well look at what happened to our roster we have to rebuild now because you were already supposed to be rebuilding last year you know right right so i guess to come back to the the initial part of this so your opinion is john survives this right I think with what we know right now, I mean, I think that the university, from what I understand, is looking into everything they can and and trying to make sure there's not more there. Uh, But without more than what we've heard in terms of like a a significant event where you're going to look at it and say, that's that's cause for firing somebody. I don't think there's any way they can, one, afford to buy them out and two, that it would really make all that much sense right now. So I, I agree with you. I, I'm just asking the question. No, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think I, I think you can get out of this situation with John Brandon. I think he's good enough to get you out of this situation. Uh, but the big concern here now is how much time do you give him to do that? And how can he put this roster back together? Because that's going to be a really difficult process. And I just don't know how likely it is that they're able to do that successfully. Listen, you and I are both on the same page of, of allowing players the the one-time transfer waiver i'm a i'm a big proponent of that so are you but are we going to walk that slippery slope of boy coach is yelling at me and so i'm going to leave because of that or coach is too hard on me when you know what sometimes you need that you just do I, oh, yeah. there's a fine line because you know as a young as a as a i don't want to call him a kid that's not fair as a young adult which these guys are you still probably need that that person to coach you now, there's, there's a fine line there, too. There's abusiveness, and then there's also um, tough coaching with tough love, et cetera. I mean, are, are we, are we going to get to that point of players are now running the asylum and coaches have to, to, to deal with, the, with, with that and change? With, I, I, I just feel we're in a slippery slope, although, again, I do agree with the one-time transfer waiver. Well, and the more ridiculous thing than the the players is is the parents, the parents that have such an influence well, on the stuff that, now that, that you have that, to that, actually yeah. worry about their opinion, which it yeah, that, know, that's the that that's a big part of it is crazy at this level. But I think we're already to that point. I think we've been to that point before this rule was in place. Now that it is in place, 
Yeah, it's good. I mean, I just know of all the conversations I've had each offseason of this player from Xavier is going to transfer and they never transfer. You know, it would happen two or three times during their career. They're leaving. They're leaving this year. No way they're coming back. But then they come back because it's just different when you have that year that you might have to sit out. There's there's at least something holding you back from just saying, screw it, I'm out of here. And with that, a little time to reflect and you think, you know what? I do. I just got to fight through this and coach isn't so bad, maybe, or what, what have you, but sometimes you're a better person for it. Right. But the, but the other side of that is I think these kids should be allowed to make their own mistakes. They are going to make mistakes. They are going to think the grass is greener and they're going to find out, you know what? It's I'm not. going to get coached regardless of where I go. <laughs> yes. Or if, yes. or if I'm not getting coached, it's because the coach doesn't care about me and I'm not good enough, or it's because he's not a very good coach and we're going to lose anyway. So right. these guys will find out that they made some mistakes. There's no doubt about that. And I think we've seen there's a crazy high percentage when they name how many guys go in the portal. And, you know, the last few years, it's been over 700 this year. At first it was, there's going to be double of that. Then it was going to, it's going to be 17, 1800. Now I'm hearing over 2000. It's crazy. But when, when we hear those numbers, we think all those guys go and end up on another D one roster, a crazy high percentage do not go on to play division one basketball. They're transferring down because they're not good enough or or they just, they just disappear. And so, yeah, you're right. But these guys should be allowed to make that decision on their own, even if it is a bad decision. And even if it is because they're soft or they don't want to be coached hard or what have you, that is still their decision because this is a sport that they're opting to play. Yeah, Yeah. I don't I don't think they should be held to that decision and say, no, you have to be miserable and stay here if you don't want to do that. If they may regret that decision, five, ten, however many years down the line. But that's their right. They they should be allowed to do it. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing with that. It just feels like there is still a slippery slope there. Right or wrong. Oh, it, it is. And it is going to be a problem for college basketball in terms of roster turnover. I mean, you're already seeing it this year. Look, look what happened to some of you know your powerhouse programs and what's happening all around the country right now in terms of the transfer portal. It's going to be an issue and we're probably swinging too far in the other direction right now because of the rule change. I think that will maybe level off some, but for the most part, I think this is kind how things are going to be handled. And that's not unusual because when you think about your friends, when you're going to college, 18 to 22 year olds make rash decisions and they change their mind a lot. And I had plenty of friends that went to one school and then they came back home and and went to NKU or they, they started at UK and then they went to UC or something like that. So I know, I know a lot of people that transferred and didn't play a sport. That's just kind of the nature of young adults. Oh, sure. No, no. yeah, Yeah. Good point. All right, across town, Xavier's had some activity already as well with sophomore guard Kiki Tandy and redshirt freshman big man Daniel Ramsey entering the portal. The Musketeers, however, did get some good news when grad student Nate Johnson announced that he had exercised the NCAA's extra year of eligibility granted due to the pandemic and come back for next season. There are also rumors that Paul Scruggs might be leaning towards coming back, which only grew when he retweeted Johnson's announcement video with the two eye emojis. No offense to Daniel Ramsey, but I don't think anyone was really factoring him into the plans for next year. Played played two games in two years. Right. But Skinny, what do you make of the departure of Kiki Tandy and the return of Nate Johnson and, and maybe even the possibility of Paul Scruggs? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Kiki Tandy writing was on the wall. But as you mentioned, there's you know, you hear that stuff all the time and kids don't leave. But that that seemed like it was a, a, a natural coming. Um, you get it feels like a trade. So if you get Paul Scruggs and Nate Johnson back and lose Kiki Tandy, I think you're going to take that trade every single time. Um, so I, 
listen, losing Kiki, I just, I've just never been a fan. I, I, again, I told, I've watched him in high school. I just was never a big fan of his as a player. Um, well, and you always said from the get-go, the biggest problem for him is, will he actually be able to acclimate into a system and, right, and right. be a guy that can fit in? And that was that seemed to be the issue. Yeah, right. Um, so, yeah, if, if if the trade-off is getting Nate Johnson and Paul Scruggs back and losing Kiki Tandy, I'm going to guess most Savior fans, if I put 100 of them in a room and said, raise your hand if you're good with this, you'd get 99 out of 100 raising their hands. And the one that wouldn't would be probably a family member of Kiki Tandy who wanted things to work out. So, um, yeah, I, I think this is a win for Xavier all the way around. Um, you know, you can take his minutes and give it elsewhere. So if you're going to, you know, distribute minutes between Nate Johnson, Paul Scruggs, and Paul Scruggs is not official, but it certainly seems like it's leaning that way. I mean, I think there was some rumblings. We were going to hear something yesterday on Wednesday. There sounds like we may hear something today as before, you know, we're doing this podcast on Thursday morning. Um, you know, between those two and Dwan Odom and, uh, and, and Adam Kunkel, you're going to be just fine. Um, you know, and maybe for the Kiki Tandy situation, it's, it's addition by subtraction. You don't have to worry about him, you know, bitching and moaning or complaining. And I'm not saying he was, I don't know if he was or not, but you know, you, you've also got that hanging over your head. A lot of times as a coach, fine, I'll take his 15 minutes and distribute him to other guys who I, I feel better about and trust. I, I just don't think it's a big loss. I'm sorry. I don't. When you go back and you look at Kiki's minutes on a game-by-game basis, you know, he went from playing starter-like minutes over those first several non-conference games. Then Adam Kunkel comes back for the UC game, and you see his minutes drop to around double digits, but they drop significantly. And then all of a sudden you get into conference play and the, the COVID breaks, and they come back from that, and he's down to basically not playing. I mean, it's a five minutes a game. You maybe play a little bit in the first half, and then you don't see him again. And then the final, you know, final game, he didn't even get in. I mean, they didn't even bring him off the bench. There were the, you know, the second half of some of those games where they couldn't buy a shot and he didn't see minutes. I think the frustration for a lot of fans is it felt like the staff gave up on him. And I think that's fair to say. Um, But I also think when you're talking about a young coach and people are questioning, what's your identity and all these other things, I think you got to give the coach some leeway to establish his culture and establish his system and say, if you're not going to do things the way we want to do them, you can't play here. And I think that's what he did with Kiki Tandy. And now you can say that wasn't the right gamble because let's face it. If you didn't get Nate Johnson back, a lot of people were high on Xavier's upside the next year or two prior to last season because of the idea that Kiki Tandy was going to be like a 30 minutes per game type guy, a prolific scorer, probably your best three point shooter on, on the roster. So if you didn't have that guy on your roster coming back, all of a sudden your future isn't looking quite the same and you didn't have enough shooting on this year's team. So you lose Nate Johnson, Paul Scruggs and Kiki Tandy off this year's roster. And you're going to be able to figure that out with a grad transfer or two, or, or maybe just a, a regular transfer now that they're eligible right away. But I think, you know, you were talking about John Brandon having to thread a needle with his roster. Travis Steele was going to be in a really dire situation, and he's in the same spot where it's year four. He, You can say what you want about the year where the tournament got taken away, but essentially he hasn't been in the tournament for three years. He has to win right now. I mean, you couldn't afford a year where you're saying, well, Kiki left, so we had to kind of rebuild there and reshuffle some things. That wasn't going to be good enough because that was your decision you made to move on from Kiki. Now that you have Nate Johnson, that that's a much less risky gamble, much less now, risky. 
how much do you think that Kiki may have known and talked to those guys about what their decision was going to be about coming back for Scruggs and Nate Johnson? I don't think it mattered. I don't think, okay, okay. I'll be honest. I don't think Kiki probably had the chance to come back to Xavier. And I don't think he had any interest in coming back with the way the season ended. It was very clear. The staff was basically saying you're in the doghouse and you're not going to play here. I mean, you don't, you don't not play him at all in those final games, the way you were playing. If you're not trying to send a message. Yeah, that's probably right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, that's probably right. Yep. All right. Uh, you know, both Adam Alita and Paul Joko have announced they're entering the transfer portal and leaving NKU as well. But we, you know, we talked about the Norse's offseason last week, and I don't think either of those moves come as much of a surprise. Maybe if there's more developments, we'll get back into kind of NKU's offseason and, and what it means. But at this point, I think pretty much what we said last week is still the status quo for NKU. So I just didn't want people to think we're completely leaving them out of the picture here, but not not much new to talk about there. I don't think for the, and can you believe Cameron Fletcher of Kentucky's entering the transfer? Can you believe it? Well, I, I has NKU reached out yet. Maybe, maybe that's what we'll be talking about next. It's possible. It is actually possible. <laughs> All right. The let's switch gears here to the NFL. The 2021 league year started at 4 PM on Wednesday, which means teams can begin to sign new free agents and trades can become official. Of course, there's a few days leading up to the start of the season where teams are allowed to negotiate with agents of players who will become free agents. And during that time, the Bengals added quarterbacks, Chidobi Awuzier, Mike Hilton, as well as re-signed Tony Brown. They also added defensive end Trey Hendrickson from the Saints and defensive tackle Larry Ogunjobi from the Browns. And they re-signed safety and kick returner Brandon Wilson, as well as running back Samaj P. Ryan. But on the flip side, defensive end Carl Lawson, wide receivers A.J. Green and John Ross, cornerback William Jackson, and tight end Seathan Carter have all signed with new teams. Not Seathan Carter! Not Seathan Carter. Come on, guys. CC, C squared. What's your take on the Bengals' moves in free agency so far? I think so far, so good. Um, I, you know... I was one that just, I, I get the metrics with Carl Lawson. I, I know it's more than just the five and a half sacks. It's the pressures, but you know what? There's also something to be said of you need to get home. I mean, if you're there and you're pressuring, how about you get the quarterback to the ground? You're allowed to do that. Um, and so for me, just from the finances of it, kind of a wash with him and Trey Hendrickson. Um, Carl has been good, not great. Hendrickson was great for one year, not good for three. Um, and I guess the question there is, was last year for Trey Hendrickson the beginning of a blossoming career? Was it a one-off? Was it because uh, New Orleans had leads and he was able to get to the, you know, be able to pressure more? He, he did get a chance to play more, um, significantly more than he played his first three years in the league. So to me, I think you're looking at a guy, you go, hey, light bulb starting to go off for that guy. And you're looking at Carl Lawson and going, you know, he is good, but he, until this past year, he's never been an every down guy. And yeah, I know he pressures a lot, but he only had five and a half sacks. He just can't finish. I, I, I'm, I think I'm okay with it. I'm okay with the Trey Hendrickson signing. So starting there, I'm, I'm good with that, that, I guess, tit for tat trade, if you will. I have no problem with it. My fear is, was last year for Trey Hendrickson just a one-off? And I guess we won't know that until yeah. we see him play this year. And he, I mean, anytime a guy's in a contract year and he has that one good season, you got to be worried about it. But like you said, I mean, you, you have Carl Lawson's injury history. You have the fact that, let's face it, he wasn't really an impact guy last year. He was 
good. He was good, not better, great. better than average, but yeah, I mean, nothing special. So, I mean, yeah, for the money, I, I have no issue with how they handled that the t- the defensive end and pass rushing situation right there. That's a wash. Yeah. Uh, as far as the quarterbacks go, uh, William Jackson is better than either of the two guys they're bringing in. But then I also look at it as kind of William Jackson, McKenzie Alexander for these two guys. And at that point I go, okay, I got two B's and I'm losing an A and a C, which averages out to a B. So I think I'm okay with that too. Yeah, I don't have a major issue with it, especially with the money that William Jackson demanded. I mean, he got paid and good for him. Um, I think the Bengals probably needed to go cheaper there, and I think it's good that they found some guys to fill roles. I don't know that they're going to be as good in the secondary, but I don't think their defense is going to be that great overall. I think the right move there was to save a little bit of money, make sure you have enough bodies here, and and that you have a little bit more depth. I think they did a fine job here, but to me, what they did so far is replaced what they lost. They are they have not done right, anything that right. makes them a better team yet. No, and that's, and that's a great, my that's big a great call. That's a great call. But we still have a lot of time left. We still do. What's the I reality do- that they add a quality offensive lineman? Because that's what I mean. That's all anyone talked about all season and and the lead up here to free agency period. What, what are the chances that there's still someone that they can go out and get? Because that's the big disappointment right now is they haven't made a splash on the offensive line. I, I, I think they will, they will get something that's better than Bobby Hart, Riley Reef, Dennis Kelly, someone along those lines. And then it comes down to, I guess, the draft at that point of saying, and, and listen, I know people don't want to hear this part. I think they like their guards. What, do, does that mean they won't sign a guard? Yeah, a Xavier Suofilo type. But I think they like their cards. They like Quentin Spain and they like Xavier Suafilo. So we're really talking about fixing the right tackle spot where Bobby Hart is at this point. Um, and, and, and either Riley Reef and, and or Dennis Kelly are probably upgrades over Bobby Hart. And then, like I said, then we go to the draft. And at that point, do you take a Penn A. Sewell knowing you don't have to play him right away? But if he's really good and impresses you, you can play him right away. Again, I'm in, I've been in that camp. I've written it. I wouldn't take a, a lineman at that spot in the draft. But if you're taking him with the idea of not having to plug and play that he's got a chance to kind of slowly ease into this, I might, I might be okay with that. Um, I, I, I do think that people thought that somehow they were going to land a Trent Williams or land a, a Russell Okun or someone along those lines. Joe Tooney. Yeah. I was so sick of the Joe Tooney. Paying eight. That's just, they paid stupid money for a guard. Good for Kansas city. You got it. You pay it. That's fine. It's just stupid money for a guard. Um, what about like I, Eric Steinbach? I, yeah, I like Eric Steinbach actually. Uh, yeah, it, it, I mean they were in on Kevin Zeitler, and, and so they were obviously looking in that direction. They still can. I mean, there's still a lot of guys out there that are going to be upgrades over Quentin Spain and Xavier Suafilo, and there's a couple of guys that are going to be upgrades over Bobby Hart. I think that's all you were looking for. You weren't going to get well, all pro caliber linemen. You just weren't. Yeah, but uh, see, I think I mean people, Trent Trent, William, Trent Williams signed for crazy money that you a you weren't going to pay, and b the team he's currently with paid it. I think people have a problem with the idea that all we heard about is how much money the Bengals have to work with. There, everyone else seems to be struggling with trying to get under the cap. There seem to be some guys available here. And yet the Bengals are doing nothing to make themselves better. They look like they're trying to save money. They look like they're trying to sp- spread it around a little, maybe add some depth, but they're doing nothing that's going to make them better or move them closer to what they talk about 
all off season in terms of how they're going to improve and they're going to protect Joe now and all this stuff. You're not going to do that with getting average guys that are Xavier Suofilo type guys. You've already tried that and it didn't work. So I think that's the issue people are going to have. And I'm right there with them. I, I get it. You, it's not over yet. They still have time to do something, that's the thing. but it's if not, you don't it's not make over yet. Some type of splash on the offensive line. And to be honest with you, the, the, the type of ideas you're throwing out there, I don't know if that's enough. I mean, at that point, yes, you do have to draft Benet Soul or the best available offensive line to you in the, the offensive draft or I'm in the, in the rookie draft. And then I like you, like you always say, I, that becomes a crapshoot. You don't know what you're going to get out of a first year offensive lineman. Yeah. And I know people are seeing moves. I mean, you know, the, the Corey Lindsley to the chargers and Gabe Hudson being traded to the, um, to the Cardinals from, from uh, Las Vegas, you know, but that's a position that they've already got. They've got Trey Hopkins and yeah, I know he's coming off ACL, but the, the, some of the moves that are being made, there just haven't been a lot of splash moves along the offensive line. Yeah. Kansas city paid for Joe Tooney. In my opinion, Kansas city paid stupid money for Joe Tooney. Do you want to pay stupid money for, for that? I, I just, I, I, I think, I think we people see it in, kind of do to an extent. Yes. Uh, I'm not saying it's smart, but I think people, right. And that's the thing, about think, how much money the Bengals have to work with. Hey, they don't have as much as you think get better. And, and it just doesn't feel like they're doing anything to get better. Yeah. They don't have as much as you think. Everybody sees the, the over the cap number of 43 mil. It's not, it's about 23 mil. Um, and they can still free up some money too. you know, cutting Gino Atkins, cutting Giovanni Bernard, cutting Bobby Hart. So you can certainly, uh, free some more money up. And I think they will. I think you're going to see, you know, Bobby Hart is still on the roster because they don't have Bobby Hart's replacement yet. I still will stick to my guns that they will find a better tackle than Bobby Hart. And they will go sign a guard that will compete with Quentin Spain and, and Xavier Suofilo. Is it as sexy as you'd like it to be? Nope. I get it, but I, I'm just not spending money just to spend it on Joe Tooney. I'm just not, I'm sorry. J- Joe Tooney is a good player. Not a great player. Good. Not great. Kansas City paid him great money. I don't know that the Bengals have good players right now, though, on the offensive line. I think they have, at best, average and a lot of below average to downright um, awful with Bobby Hart. Yes, and they're going to find a reply. I promise you, they will find a replacement for Bobby Hart. They will, and it'll be an upgrade, whoever it will be. You know, Riley Reef is one that's come to mind, and he's, uh, I, I do believe, visiting. So that's at least the starting point. Um, so, you know, get Riley reef and plug him in at right tackle. I'm going to be, I'm going to be okay with that. Is there any other position that you have your eye on looking for them to maybe make an addition? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I thought they needed to get interior defensive line help to get a rotational guy. I think they got that Nogan Joby. Um, I, I don't believe the Kenny Galladay story. I think that's the Bengals floating that out there to make themselves look better. I'm sorry. I just don't believe that. That, that, that they're in the conversation with Kenny Galladay for the one year prove it or else deal. Um, I think that, I think part of that is them saying, Hey, see, we are trying to do something. We're going to get trying to get, no, you're, you're, you're not, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't, I don't buy that. Um, I, I do think they will get one of those wide receivers somewhere along the lines um, to become a rotational player. And that's where I go back to, okay. So then you go back to the draft and say, okay, so I got a rotational wide receiver. I got a future I, I I've got my, my, my offensive lineman. And so with that fifth pick, you then can go in both directions. You can either go the Penny soul direction, or you can go the Jamar chase direction. So I, I think they're going to give themselves enough flexibility to go in a good direction in the draft is what I think. All right. We've got one stop left before we get into some NCAA tournament talk here, a local action with the reds a little over two weeks until the regular season starts 
And manager David Bell is going to give Eugenio Suarez a look at shortstop now. Uh, he said he's open to the possibility uh, of him opening the season at the position. Uh, and Suarez got to start at short on Wednesday night. He went 0 for 3 with three strikeouts and an error in and the two, field. And, and Tuesday. He had the last two nights. Mike Mustakis started at third base in the game on Wednesday. Reds manager David Bell said, quote, I don't think I ever considered it seriously until the beginning of spring training. I do think it did have something to do with how he came into camp just lighter and in really good shape. That's when it was first considered. Over the course of the last three weeks, he's gradually started working a little bit more on the backfields, and I've seen him a few times. I've had conversations with him, feeling out the situation, and he was open to it. I mean, this is something we've discussed a lot, obviously, along with the rest of the city. What did you think of David Bell finally commenting on it and now considering Suarez at shortstop? It almost makes you want to bash your head against a wall and go. Isn't it just ridiculous? You just now think you're not. Now, I will say this. For a guy that's played the position before, is two weeks enough? Maybe. I would have liked to have given him the whole spring to play with this. But if he was doing some work on the backfields of the position, um, time that we don't see, time that are not in games, then, okay, now you're giving him two weeks to get himself ramped up in games. I, I think at least you made this decision without getting to the regular season. You at least gave it a little breathing room. And I think some of it, too, was prompted by how well Jonathan Indy was maybe playing. Cause it seems like he was the guy they're going to plug into second base. Um, and that's probably a more natural position for D Gordon as well. It, it, Cause he's not played really shortstop since, you know, 20, 2013, I guess it was, he's been primarily a second baseman and actually a little more of an outfielder. There, there was just no way you were going into the season, believing you were going to platoon Kyle Holder and Kyle farmer or <laughs> Kyle farmer and D strange Gordon. You, you just, that didn't make any sense. Give yourself your best offensive lineup. And yeah, maybe some of this was prompted as much by the fact of Jonathan Indy opening eyes. And, and you know, last Friday they elevated him and Brandon Finnegan to, to major league camp, which is a, a, an indication that they were impressed by both of them. Now, Brandon Finnegan, Finnegan just got his, his doors blown off in his most recent start. And I wasn't thinking much of him, but listen, Jonathan Indy was a first round pick and um, kind of wallowed. It felt like for a, a year or two in the minors, supposedly last year at the offsite, he was, Uh, performing extremely well and maybe he's carried that over to the point where some of this isn't just because of your need at shortstop some of it is Jonathan Indy has forced your hand and and forced his way into the lineup so I I, I, this is a move I thought they should have done all along right I've talked about this for for a month of of moving Suarez to shortstop so at least they're doing it and doing it to give him a chance to get a little acclimated with some games it just makes all the sense in the world Um, defense be damned for me Uh, you know, this is, this is not a year day and age where you got sinker ball pitchers and you're going to get 16 ground balls in a game. I'm not, I'm not worried about defense. It was shifts anymore. Guys are usually put in a pretty good spot defensively where you don't have to worry about range so much. So I'm fine with this. I think it's the right move to make all the way around the board. I just, it makes me wonder what took you so long, but at least, at least you did it with some room to spare. I'm glad to see they're not being overly stubborn about this. Right, I feel, right. It feels like they were being stubborn to start spring training. It, like you said, it seemed inevitable that you were going to have to at least try this at some point. My only question right now is why the hell is Nick Senzel not considered to play second base? Why are they saying he has to be an outfielder? That makes no sense at all. I understand right now you have the open spot in the outfield because of Shogo being right. hurt. But right. once he's back you're going to want to try to get those guys on the field at the same time. It seems like it would make all the sense in the world to try Senzel at second base in that scenario. Uh, Aside from that though, in terms of the Jonathan India thing, you almost wonder 
if like there's there was some psychological game going on there if they didn't want to just say like hey we're gonna try to see if Jonathan India can be the second baseman or we're gonna move Suarez over or Mustakis over to third if if they didn't want to put that out there because they either didn't want to put the pressure on him or they didn't or they wanted to dangle the carrot and not make him feel like he had the spot I, you or always he, just or wonder he, if there's or something wrong or yeah, no. and I mean I think that's been the case he's definitely played well but it, you almost wonder like if they didn't have that thought all along that ideally Jonathan India will come into here, play well, and he'll be our second baseman, and then we'll slide Mustakis over. Yeah, I, 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 I'm i with you on the Senzel. I, I, I've i always called him, he should be the Reds' Ben Zobrist. He should be the guy that plays second one day, third one day, left field one day, center field one day. Or at least Ryan Friel. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> I, I, I'd like to think more in terms of Ben Zobrist. Well, that'd be Ryan. nice. I don't know if he's that talented. We'll see. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good call. Um, but, again, I'll give him this. They weren't stubborn to the point of not doing it, though, Rick. That, that's the thing that I like, is at least they didn't dig their heels in and go, we're just not going to do this. No, Agreed. at least you did it. At least you did it. They deserve a lot of credit for that. And in a and time where backfire. a lot of you, coaches don't might, seem to want to deal with public opinion and, and give in to that, I, I think, you know, once you hear all the clamoring from the outside, it's almost like they push back against it even more. I'm, glad, I'm with you. I'm glad to see that they weren't overly stubborn. Yeah, I mean – this could backfire to the point where Suarez makes an error a day for two weeks in the sure. regular season. And you go, you know what? Just can't do it. I don't think that's going to happen because it's, it's not like this is a completely foreign position to him. He played it when he came up, he played it as recently as, as 2015. So it's not like this is something he has to go back to from 15 years ago. He came up a shortstop and with today's, you know, the, the, the utilization of shifts in defensive placement, I think he's going to be just fine. And it just gives you a better, offensive club club to play with. Would I rather have Jonathan India with a potential to hit 20 homers bat in eighth or Kyle Farmer with the potential to bat 212 bat in eighth? You tell me what you'd rather have. All right, let's move on to our betting segment and talk some NCAA tournament. Uh, last week, UC SMU was the only game we had on the local slate to bet. We both had UC plus six and the under UC won the game outright and the under hit by a point. It was 145 the total. So we both went 2 and 0. I'm now 14 and 18. You are 16 and 16, back to 500. And for this edition of our betting segment, what we decided to do was we each chose four of our favorite games for the NCAA tournament to bet. It can be a, a line, a spread, or a total, whatever you want. And uh, we're just going to go back and forth to give you four picks and see what our record is on those four picks. So, Skinny, what do you got? I, I've got only one game on Friday. I've got three on Saturday that I really like. But uh, I got four games on, or one game on Friday, and that is North Carolina laying one and a half against Wisconsin. It's the proverbial 8-9 game. I just think Carolina's length. And, um, I, I, look, Wisconsin, it's funny. If you look up in Ken Palm, they're close to that 30-30 club, right, of 30th, top 30 on offense, top 30 in defense, and that's a pretty good place to be. I just, I, I think this is a pretty talented Carolina team that, that uh, for the most part down the stretch has gotten it right. So give me Carolina on Friday laying one and a half. I actually have a Thursday night game. So hopefully wow. you'll get the chance to listen to this before you, you get in, but I don't think I, anyone's going to be surprised can, about can, this. Can I, can I, can I guess what you're going to do on Thursday? Night? Can I just guess it? <laughs> I think you're you'll be able to. Mich you're taking Michigan state against UCLA. Am I, I right? Am. Michigan State is a two and a half point favorite, and Skinny would. Why do you think I might be taking Michigan State in that matchup? Because you hate Mick Cronin. Some some oh. irrational thought process there. Oh, I don't. 
I don't think it's irrational, my friend, and I don't think it has anything to do with hating. Let's be realistic. Tom Izzo is 52 and 21 in the NCAA tournament. Mick Cronin is 6 and 12. Cronin is still seeking his first win in the month of March since he became the UCLA coach. He's 0-5 right now. It's not going to come against Tom Izzo. You're going to tell me I can take Tom Izzo head-to-head against Mick Cronin, both with kind of crappy teams in an NCAA tournament game, playing game? Uh, Tom Izzo, two and a half, easy, easy money. All right, what do you got? I'm, I, I'm shocked by that, in case you're wondering. I bet. All right, all right, I've got three games on Saturday. The first of my three is this, and again, it's another 8-9 game. LSU minus one and a half over St. Bonaventure. I actually think LSU has a legitimate chance to win that entire bracket. They would play Michigan in the second round. I, I They've got Cameron Thomas, who's just a, he's a, he's a great player, a tough guy to stop. They got size. Um, it's a really talented LSU team. I hate their coach. He's a cheating piece of crap, but I still, for, for my own purposes, I'm taking LSU laying one and a half against the Bonnies and the Bonnies are good. Future Xavier coach, Mark Schmidt. Jeez. Oh, uh, all right. I've got, did a, I just say that out loud? Did I just say that I've out loud? I've got a Friday game, 1245 um, Colgate, Arkansas. This is one that a lot of people are calling the Colgate upset here. I don't, really get why i'm gonna fade the public on this one i'm actually gonna take arkansas minus eight and a half colgate's regular season consisted of four games against army four games against boston and four games against holy cross they beat boston for a fifth time to open the patriot league tournament then they beat bucknell by 30 and loyola maryland by 13 in the finals that's the extent of their season both of those last two teams bucknell and loyola maryland are outside the top 200 of ken palm they're going up against an Arkansas team, which I actually think is pretty good. I think this, they are too. This Colgate team is is smaller. They they shoot well from the outside. They they play really fast, but they're not going to like overwhelm you with their three point shooters. They don't have a bunch of snipers or specialists or something like that. They just have guys that shoot good threes, shoot open threes in transition, and shoot a pretty good percentage. But I mean, guys like Jalen Tate. This seems like a game he was made for. He's, he's longer, more athletic than all these guys, and they want to run up and down the court with him and let him play in transition and get to the rim. I don't think this is a good matchup for Colgate. I'm with you. I, 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 that's actually good. I'm not playing that game, but I, I, that your logic is great for sure. All right, my next one comes on Saturday. I'm taking the 12 seed UCSB getting seven against Creighton. Creighton down the stretch uh, went three and three, and two of their three wins were over Butler. They do have a good win over a team I'm actually going to take as well. We'll get to them in a second in UConn, but then just got their doors blown off in the conference finals by, by Georgetown. And some of that was that Georgetown train started rolling in the right direction and kept on rolling through the conference tournament. We've seen that happen before where a team just gets on a roll. I just don't have a lot of confidence in Creighton. And I, I think US, UCSB has a legit chance to win this game outright. And then I'm going to get seven on top of it. I got to take my seven points, dude. So this seems like a good idea to uh, bring up. I have one more Friday, but I'm going to go ahead and bring up my Saturday play, which is Creighton minus six and a half ever you see Santa Barbara. Um, my only question about this Creighton team is, is the locker room in a bad spot because of the McDermott stuff? Right. Has that caused a riff? Are they just not together anymore? And I would say, and I would say, I, I, I can't base that on the Georgetown game because they gritted out a tough win over UConn when they were down by five late. Right, and Georgetown is was playing out of their mind. I mean, they yes, were right. Awesome. And, yes, I think exactly. they could have played with anyone in the country during that week. Here's my thing. I'm going to say Creighton is is together enough. Like you said, they came back to beat UConn that game. I think they're together enough to beat UCSB. UCSB can't shoot. 
Their bigs are great for the Big West, but I don't think they're going to give Creighton problems inside, and Creighton plays a small lineup that's going to exploit those guys to a certain extent. I think this is a line that's made strictly by the metrics because UCSB is kind of a Ken Palm darling this year. I think this is a game that Creighton runs away with, actually. So I think this is actually a good reverse teaser line if you're looking at it. All right, so you and I are completely opposite in that game. Yeah, I like it. Couldn't be out any of, more different. Out, out of out of 32 first-round games, and we only get to pick four of the 32, we're on the same game opposite sides. I, yep. I kind of like Gotta that. love it. Gotta love okay. it. All right, so, so then I'm going to go to my last game, which is, uh, again, Saturday. I'm going to take UConn minus three over Maryland. I just think that Maryland team is is, is garbage. I, I, I don't think highly of them. I think UConn's playing really well. And I Agreed. say that despite the fact they blew that five-point lead late against um, uh, against Creighton. Uh, I, I maybe that was even good for, for UConn. Maybe that was like the last wake up call they need. Um, they got a great player in book night. They just, they really got their stuff together down the stretch. I think that's a team that's got a good chance to make a nice run in the tournament as a seven seed. So I'm going to take UConn laying three against Maryland. I like that. All right. My final game is actually a Friday game and it's North Texas and Purdue. I've got Purdue minus seven and a half here. North Texas call. plays really slow on offense. They're a defensive-minded team, but this game it, might not get out of the fifties, though. I mean, that's possible. I am a little worried about how big that spread is, but they have no answer for Travion Williams or Zach Eady inside. I don't know what they're going to do there, and that's like kind of their thing is being a a slow, grinded out, beat you up style team. I don't think that's how you beat this Purdue team at all. I think. As a as a mid major trying to beat this Purdue team, I think you'd want to spread them out, bomb away from a three, and run up and down the court. I don't think you beat them by grinding out, winning with defense, playing slow. Yeah, I'm per- going Purdue minus seven and a half. Here. It's I think funny, it plays I, perfectly into the, their style. Yeah, I, I'm only in a couple of bracket things, but I believe it or not, Purdue's one of my Final Four picks on a bracket. I, I've got well, them; they're, they're in that same side with Baylor. I, I, I had that, them to the Elite Eight to, to rematch the semifinals of Big Ten tournament against Ohio State. What, that's exactly what I've got. I've got yeah. them with Ohio State in the final, and I think they beat Ohio State this time. It's a, it's a toss-up game, and obviously I'm rolling the dice, but you kind of got to do it. I, I I think Purdue's really good. I, I do. And I think and I think they, they, the matchups for them along the way are just perfect. That that's the, that's the big thing to me is it seems like the bracket played out perfectly for both Purdue and Ohio State, which coming into the tournament, you know, I think the, the Big Ten is really, really good this year. So I thought they were good teams, but it felt like Ohio State – one didn't have enough of an inside presence and two wasn't all that talented. Although I think the world of Chris Holtman and then Purdue just seemed like they weren't quite there yet. They were still maybe a year away. I wasn't in on taking either one of these teams very far before the tournament started, but then you saw the way it played out for Purdue. I mean, they have to beat North Texas, which, you know, some people are worried about, I guess, but it's a four 13. You got to like your chances. And then you get either, the wounded Villanova team without a point guard, which would have been your concern against Villanova. Yeah, and, or, and, and what, what's, what's the other chic pick? It's Winthrop beating Villanova. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you get a 12-seed in Winthrop potentially, which, again, you got to like your chances of that. And then you would be playing Baylor, the one seed, and if there is one weakness for this Baylor team, it is size and length and offensive rebounding, which is all the things that Purdue does well. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're right. They, they have to get past North Carolina first, obviously, or Wisconsin, but if you get that Baylor Purdue matchup, things go chalk. I like Purdue's chances against Baylor. So yeah, I, that was, I was really surprised that I had Ohio state and Purdue both in the elite eight and Ohio state as a final four team, but I'm with you. I think that the bracket played out perfectly for both of those teams. Do you have any other, 
takes that you've kind of come across as you've been breaking down the bracket more or doing any of your pools or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, a, a couple of them, I, it, it just felt like every time I, I put a bracket together, I could not make a case for anybody, but Gonzaga or Illinois um, getting to the final four from their regions. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't find an excuse in the world that those two teams don't make it. Did you? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm and it's funny you say that because, and this is how you know it's going to be a crazy year and I'm going to be 100% wrong. But every right. time I look at the bracket, it feels relatively easy for me to pick. I don't have a hard time picking who I think gets through. You know, yeah, I have a, a few little upsets here with like Ohio State getting to the final four and Texas getting to the final four uh, in my bracket. But but those are the two those are the two regions where things fall apart. Uh, yeah, that's where the, I've got, I think I've got Purdue and LSU, believe it or not. I mean, it's so to me, I'm with you. Gonzaga and Illinois are just the easy picks, and I don't really see a way to pick against them, especially with the way things set up for both of them. So I I like both of those teams a lot going in. I know everyone thinks this is going to be some crazy year with a lot of upsets, and maybe it will be for the first round or two. And then all of a sudden, we'll really see that chalk play out and allow for an even easier path for the Zags and the Fighting Illini. Yeah, I, I just think the two brackets that do have the potential to fall apart are, are the ones where, where Baylor and Michigan are the one seed. And it's not a knock yeah. on Michigan. I just think the liver's injury really hurts them significantly. Without a and, doubt. And maybe he comes back at some point. You know, maybe they get through the, this first weekend and can win two games without him, and then he's back. And that would change my opinion. But but I got to be honest with you, Rick. And, and again, I hate the coach, but I think LSU's really talented, man. I think they're really talented. Yeah, I think they could give them a lot of trouble there in that, that second round game. So, yeah, I think that that bracket and I mean, Florida State, you know, I like I love them. Too. I love them. I like I love Florida them State t- team, but you've got to always question them in the tournament. Right. Right. No, I love them from just a sheer eyeball test talent and all those things. I I want I want to I want to pick them all the way out. But Leonard Hamilton hasn't gotten them over the hump. Right or wrong. Yeah, just yeah, just is what it is until he, he does that. And, um, you know, they what about, I'll tell you what, what Georgetown. I've got them as my 12-5 upset. I know everyone else likes some of the other 12-5 games with uh, the Winthrop and Villanova game, um, the the Creighton-USC a little bit. Um, and then Oregon State-Tennessee, I don't know if as many people have that. But, yeah, the the 5-12 I really like is that Georgetown-Colorado upset. I think Georgetown is just oh, – I think Colorado's really good. See, I, I'm fading the Pac-12. I know you are. Uh, and, 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 I don't think and, and the Pac-12 is good. I, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I, 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 I just think that's a, I think they're good. I think they're legit good. We will see. I, they, they do not have the size that Georgetown does inside. And that's, so it's going to be interesting to see how they handle uh, the big men and, and Georgetown. Tell you what, they can really shoot it. The way Chudier Belay came on at the end of the year, it gives them a, a wing with athleticism that can kind of slash and do a little bit of everything as well as shoot from the outside. And then they've got the big men. They've always had that under, under Ewing. So Georgetown really has a more complete team the way they came on at the end of the year than I think a lot of people realize. So I, I'm, I've got my eye on them. How, how much was Pat in trouble if he hadn't done what he did in the, in the tournament? You have to think. I mean, they, they, how many bad seasons are you allowed to have? You know? Right. No, no, that's what I'm wondering. I wonder if, the, if this kind of saved his job. I think it, it certainly uh, makes everyone feel a whole lot better about it for the next few years because I don't think they were going to move on from him yet. What this is his fifth seat or his fourth season now, right? Um, right. and you know I, the overall record at nine and twelve and seven and nine in the Big East for the regular season prior to the Big East tournament run. I don't think anyone's feeling good about that. So 
yeah, if they didn't get to the tournament here, I don't think, I don't think people are, are really happy with Pat Ewing and the job he's doing. And I think you have to be considering what's next after year five or whenever his contract is up, but you make that run. If they pull up an upset here at the, the Colorado game, which I think is legit possible. I, I think he'll be uh, at least in a much better spot. I don't know if well, he's on great footing, but. And I would say this though. Now you look at his roster, you go, he's got some guys. Yeah. Well, and he lost a ton of guys this last offseason, too. He's really had to replace things quickly. But Dante Harris, their freshman point guard, was the, the Big East tournament most valuable player. So I, I'm with you. I think if, if he can get some of these guys to come back, especially if like Belay, who was a grad transfer, if he comes back for another year next year, the way he came on at the end of the year, that's he's a player. I mean, he really changed their team. I still can't believe we have an NCAA tournament that doesn't have Kentucky, Louisville, Xavier, UC, and somehow has the Crypt Keeper Rick Patino in it. I'm still, it just amazes me. He is, that's why he's the Crypt Keeper. keeper. He's unbelievable. But I, unfortunately, <laughs> him off. that matchup, I don't think I can pick that upset. As much as, as good as, as good as Iona was to me in their conference tournament, uh, from a betting perspective, I just don't think I can keep riding that wave. That's probably a good call. The other one, one other take I do have from just, you know, we talked about it during our Sunday night podcast, but the more I look at this bracket, the more high I am. Um, I am on Texas too. I really think this Texas team is good. They they're playing their best basketball right now and they can match up with just about anybody. Yeah. And I just fade them because it feels like every big game they got into this year, they just didn't get it done. We'll see. We yeah, will no, see. I, 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 think I think it's a valid point during right. the regular season. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think what you're saying, and, and I'm the opposite. I, 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 West Virginia kind of did the same thing too, but I keep looking at them going, man, they got a lot of good parts to make a tournament run. Golly, they got, and they got a nice, they, you know, they're, I think they're on the side with Houston, right? Is Houston the two seed? I think in theirs, that is obviously the Illinois yes, one. That's correct. Um, and, and I, like I said, I've every bracket I've done, I just, I cannot make an excuse for another team other than Illinois, but I guess I could make a mini one for West Virginia. Well, I have West Virginia meeting up with Illinois in that uh, elite. Yeah, game. I do too. I do too. Yeah. That, yeah. So uh, that, that's the other one. They just, it felt like every big game they got into, they either had to make a crazy rally to win or they got beat. But then I also look and go, man, they got some dudes that can shoot it. They got it. They, they go get it off the glass. And Miles McBride is just a difference maker. So that's a pretty good recipe for success in the tournament. Yeah. To me, it was the big 10 was clearly the best conference this year. The big 12 was clearly second best in their own little group. Like they were below the big 10 for sure, but better than, anybody else and then to me it's like the big east the acc and the sec were all kind of the same right right so to, that's sort of how i look at it. the, the pac 12 was awful from what i can tell all right UCLA. let's get into uh ask any anything we'll start off with some uh, local sports topics like usual this comes from uh, our friends at the sports intoxication podcast they want to know like it. shoot it sip it or toss it so love it, you're lukewarm on it, or hell no. Here's three ideas for you. Which do you think is going to happen first? Okay. XUC Sweet 16, a Bengals postseason win, or a Reds postseason series win? Um, I'm going to go with the Reds postseason series win. Really? Yeah, because I, I, I think it happened. I think they have a chance to do it this year. I'm yeah. going Reds postseason series win. I wish I shared your optimism on that. If I felt they could do that this year, I might be in that boat. 
I definitely don't think it's going to be a Bengals postseason win. I'm going to go XUC Sweet 16. That's the odds on favorite all the time when this question comes up. I know both programs feel like they're in a tough spot right now, uh, but at the end of the day, they just have to win two games in the month of March to get to a Sweet 16. And the chances of those two programs pulling that off are infinitely higher, regardless well, of what type of situation they're in, than the, so I guess the Reds I- getting right. So maybe I, I I thought that wrong. I was thinking they them doing that in the same year as the way I was thinking. Oh, okay. I was only saying one or the other. Yeah, them doing it at the same time. I don't. That's that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna toss that one. I'm gonna sip the Bengals one, and I'm gonna guzzle shoot. I'm gonna shoot the uh, Reds postseason. Shoot, shoot, shoot the Reds postseason. Yes. All right. Give me your AFC North power rankings one full day into the new league year. Um. Cleveland one, Baltimore two, Bengals three, Pittsburgh four. I think that's probably pretty much the consensus right now, right? I don't think that's controversial at all. And and Pittsburgh or uh, Cleveland and Baltimore um, are close to me. I just I thought I think Cleveland's on the ace end. I don't completely see Baltimore on the descend, but it feels like they've kind of topped out a little bit. So I'm going Cleveland's on the ace end. Baltimore's a bit on the east end. The Bengals are getting better, but not close to, to either one of those. And I think Pittsburgh's had a chance to be just awful. All right. Best guess who gets the head coaching job at Indiana, the big national college basketball story of the week. Yeah, that's a great question. Cause I don't know what, a, what's a great fit. I know everybody Well, Well, they call Brad Stevens seems to be the chic, uh, the chic response to that. Rick, I, I've thought about this for a while, and I just don't know the answer to it because, you know, you, you hear Nate Oates, but I'm thinking, is Indiana a great job anymore? It, I, I mean, think is it, it is to certain people. I mean, you're certainly yes. going to be compensated well. It, it, you're going to have a ridiculous fan engagement and all of that stuff. I mean, if, hey, it's, if I you want to have the guy. absolute spotlight and you have a little bit of an ego and you like that, I think it's a, it's a great spot to be, but it is it, the, the expectations are over the top. It's a total fishbowl situation. I mean, it helps a little bit that the football program's getting better, but it really doesn't matter. I mean, these people are nuts about college basketball, uh, I think it's I think it's a really tough job. I do think it's still a good one, but I, I don't know that it'd well, be in my top I mean, five. As I say, any major college job for the most part, for the most part, is a good one. It's just not an elite one anymore. It just isn't. I, it hasn't, I think it, it, I think it's it hasn't like been for UCLA. some time. Right. You're living on past glory. Although I'd I'd rather be at UCLA than Indiana personally. Well, because you're in a league where you have a chance to, to have better success. Right. I mean, Indiana's going to be a, really difficult to win every year. Yeah, the Big Ten's a meat grinder. I can give it. Hell, Minnesota was a good team when they were healthy, and they're one of the worst in the league, right? Right. And they just got their coach fired. Now, he deserved it, mind you. Um, I don't know. That's a, It is a great question. You know, Nate Oates, is it a better job there? Is he in a better spot building something at Alabama? All I know is this, Indiana ain't in the tournament, and he's got Alabama as a two-seed. Is that because of – it's It's obviously because of him, but, you know, again, I just don't know if I'm I'm leaving a situation where I'm building something to go try to build something in an unrealistic place in a, in a league that's, that's extraordinarily tough. Yeah, I think Nate Oates is good. I think it would be a, a decent answer. I think if you 
asked me who I'm betting on right now, my money would be on Scott Drew. That seems to be the one because obviously he's got ties because of Valpo. Um, I think it would matter to him. He gets what the job is. Yeah, maybe. Um, And and I still am stunned at what he's been able to do at Baylor. Um, It makes you wonder a lot of times how he's been able to do what he's done at Baylor. Um, But he's done it, so he deserves the credit for it. Yeah, that sounds logical. But I go back to, I just, if I've built something in a place and I'm getting compensated for it and I feel like I can keep it rolling. I mean, what does Indiana have going for it right now? That's a fair point. I think it has to be someone that it means a lot to. You know, I mean, there, now you do have a ton of talent in the state of Indiana. And Pat as, Knight. Archie, as Archie proved, you, you can get that talent to stay even if you're not doing all that well. So now it wasn't enough for Archie to win. But, yeah, there there are some some benefits that come with the job of Indiana, and there are some reasons that it's an easier job and a better job than Baylor. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know what Scott Drew would say to that. I think his family understands what it means to be the coach at Indiana, so it's pro- it probably would be a, a sense of pride for him. Mike Davis. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> what do you think about Chris Beard? Uh, to me, he's too Texas for – like he makes so much sense at Texas Tech. At the same time, I think the way he appeals to the fans, the 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 way he can kind of be, he, he's a showman. He likes the spotlight a little bit. I think that would play well at Indiana. Yeah, you know what that feels like. I don't want to call it flavor of the month because he's 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 done more than the guy I'm about to, to say, and he certainly seems like he's not going to be a crazy man drunk like the guy I'm about to say but it feels Billy Gillespie-ish. Oh, I, I disagree that. I think Chris Beard's a really good coach. I do too, but nobody didn't think Billy wasn't a – people uh, thought Billy was a great coach. Uh, I think dude, people thought Billy was a fantastic recruiter. Okay, okay. And he felt very flavor of the month, though. And that's well, why I agree. I'll, I give, I'll give Chris Beard's very flavor of the month at this point. Yeah, and, the one, no, I, and I, that's why I say I, I will go to the fact of Chris Beard two years ago taking Texas Tech to a final – that would have been the time when the iron was hot for him to strike and take the best available job out there. And he didn't, he stuck around, came through a pandemic year back out on the other side with a team that's back in the tournament again. That tells me he's pretty good. Yeah, I I, I agree with you. I think he's really good. I, I, I just disagree with the idea that he's Billy Gillespie at all. I think he is legit. Um, I, I think he has a better situation at Texas tech than Scott Drew does at Baylor, if we're being honest. How about Kelvin Sampson? Oh, wait a minute. That didn't work so good there. Mm, my bad. Yeah, probably not that. Yeah, I don't know. I think Scott Drew would be my answer. Beard yeah, that, that, that seems about right. Um, but the thing is, what if Scott Drew is in their, their, their crosshairs and he says, thanks, but no thanks? How about that with a slap in the face, right? Well, well like, like I said, I think it's a lot like the UCLA job at this point. I could easily see multiple of their top targets turning it down and they have to get down to uh, I'll tell you who they should get. I, I just thought of a guy. Shame on me. Dave Leto. That would be a great fit. Dave Leto is available. Well, that gives him a, that gives him a place to go before DePaul comes back around a third time and hires him. It's only right. I mean, I it, think it's only fair. I think before he retires and enters the college basketball hall of fame, Dave DePaul should bring Dave Leto back to let him retire as a blue demon. Yes. <laughs> get his jersey in the in the rafters. Let him retire. Yeah. Let him retire with DePaul. Yes. 
Uh, All right. Uh, on to some nonsense here. Worst vacation spot slash worst vacation story for you, Skinny. Um, believe it or not, it wasn't a bad vacation spot, but it's a terrible vacation story with South Padre Island because the very first day there, I can still remember it was my, me, my wife and my mother and father. Um, shortly after we got married, um, maybe a year into it, maybe a second year into it, whatever. And, um, <laughs> this is multifold with this story. So at the, at that time, my wife was working for the airlines. Um, she was a computer technician. Um, so, but she worked for American airlines. My mother and father both worked for the airlines. So we flew, uh, what's called non-rev. You, sometimes you have to stand by and you don't get on a flight because you know, you're, you're hoping that seats are open. That's why you're flying it. So getting down there was fine. So the first day there, beautiful day. I mean, not a cloud in the sky, 80 something degrees, nice ocean breeze. And I'm of Cuban descent. So I'm an idiot who never puts on suntan or sunblock. And this is the late eighties where no one really thought much of that. Got the literal worst sunburn in the history of sunburns in my life to the point where when you put the cold aloe on me, I would scream for 15 minutes until it kind of sunk in. So that ruins the rest of the vacation, right? Yeah. I mean, it just does. It's yeah. just, it's the worst. It's the worst. I will say we did have an enjoyable time driving over to Mexico one day though. And I, I'm not a world cup soccer fan, but to be in Mexico. So I guess this was 88 then. Um, I'm not a big soccer fan. But to be in a country where soccer matters, watching World Cup with their team playing was fascinating. It, that, that was the only good part of the vacation. But I'm doing it with a sunburn, oh. all, all that stuff going on. And then, How old were you at the time? About 25. Mm, okay. So then, <laughs> then we're flying out of the fine airport of Harlingen, Texas, which is about the size of a phone booth. Yeah, we flew out of there too when we went. Yeah, um, we got bumped off of five straight flights and had to stay another day. So we spent literally a whole day in an airport hoping to get on a plane home, didn't, and couldn't fly out to the next day. And we actually got bumped off the first two flights there. So it was just a disaster from me getting on that beach to me trying to get home. Yeah, that's not a... And so I was just saying, so it's, so it's not a, a, a... The vacation spot itself was not bad, but it was a vacation from hell. You don't want to spend a lot of time at any airport, but certainly not that one. It, there's no restaurants or anything. There's, there's it, is, it is like two rooms, essentially. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, it's not good. But uh, I, I enjoyed South Padre. My experience was much better than yours. But I think I've told you this before. I am completely out on tanning, like as an idea at this point. You know, like, I mean, everyone wants to, they go, like they want to get a little sun. They want to come back. They look. No one is ever running into me and being like, Oh, you look really good with that tan. You know, yeah, what I mean? it's, no, it's, it's farmer's tan for me these days. I mean, so yeah. Well, yeah, at best, I, but yeah, even, even if I was perfectly the best tan I could get for one, I don't tan well. I just turn like kind of reddish anyways. And second of all, no one's like, uh, yeah, Rick looks really good over there with his tan. It's not, it's not <laughs> my thing. I'm not a, I'm not an attractive guy. I'm not, I'm not going to ruin any of my vacations ever again because I got sunburned. I'm just out on it completely. The idea of getting sun is like, well, but, it, but for me, it wasn't even a matter of, of I wanted to get a suntan. Right. It was just, I'm, it was a beautiful and, and honestly, it was that damn ocean breeze. Cause I never felt the heat. I just never felt it. I, I get that. But I'm like, just now it's like 100%. I don't even consider it. It's like, if, if we're just out hanging out, I've got clothes on. If we're out on the beach, I am sunscreening up and I do not care. I'm wearing a hat. I'm sunscreening up. No sunburns ever again. Yeah, I don't mind. I still don't mind the sunburn. I just, I'm just not a, I, I'm, I'm awful. I don't, honestly, don't, don't, don't do as I say, kids do, do, do you. I just have never been a sunscreen guy. 
I'm the softest human in the world when it comes to sunburns. Hate it. <laughs> Hate it. I get it. All right. Uh, with Monday's offensive lineman flying off the board and losing Carl Lawson and Tuesday's mass exit, exodus, exodus from UC, I was left absolutely depressed, maybe for the first time ever as a sports fan. What has been your guys' darkest days as a fans? Mm. I'm going to go back to my childhood again with this one. Bengals losing to the Raiders in the 75 playoffs after being down 31-14, coming back to, to get to within 31-28, and then recovering a fumble with the Raider 37-yard line with a great chance to go ahead and win the game over a great Raider team. You know, Bengals were in their infancy. The, the third time they made the playoffs in five years uh, was a huge fan. I was 12 years old, and unfortunately, Ken Anderson took an awful sack on third down. Um, got them out of field goal range to tie it. Then I had to go for it on fourth down. They lost. And I cried like a baby cried like a baby. Now I was 12 years old. I'll give you that part of it. So that was probably my darkest day. Yeah. Minus Bengals too. It's gotta be the Carson Palmer chemo von Allhoffen game. I had just, I was still in high school then. So I was young enough and emotionally invested enough to be that upset about it. And afterwards, by the time the, uh, Steelers game happened with the fumble and the Vontas perfect hit and all that. I was, you know, I was already out of school. I was an adult. I was really drunk at the time. Yeah, I was pissed, but like it wasn't the darkness I felt when the the Carson Palmer situation happened because I truly believed that Bengals team with Palmer was good enough to make a run. And right. you know, I get it. it I've got I've got one of them. What is it? I was in college at Kentucky my uh, my freshman year. Um, and this is before the NCAA tournament was widely televised. So I can remember watching it on my black and white TV in my dorm room um, when they lost. to. It was a really good Kentucky team on paper, but lost to middle Tennessee in the first round of the NCAA tournament, 50 to 44. And it just, it was such a letdown because it was like, you're so looking forward to your school making a run. And all of a sudden they're out to a team. They had no business being out to. I, di I didn't cry over it. I was, you know, I was in college at the time, but I've never felt, I, I just remember sitting in my dorm room, I think I watched it by myself for some reason, half loaded and just nice. sitting there staring at the TV screen blank. Like what the hell just happened here? All right. I, I, I mean, those, that's, you know, it's never fun to talk about your lowest points as sports fans, but there you go. That, those were ours. Uh, which venue event has had the best in-game press room hospitality buffet which venue event press room buffet had the cheapest or nastiest food that had you running to restroom like you just ate gas station sushi? Uh, Jacksonville Jaguars is the worst by far. They put they put these homemade sandwiches in like wax paper, and I feel like I'm getting something at a gas station that I really didn't want to get. That they're, they're 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 by far the worst. Um, I'm trying to think, best NCAA tournaments were always really good, man. They set you up damn nice. Those really. Were yeah. I never liked the NCAA tournament spread. Back in the day, those were pretty good. Um, I'm going to go Dallas Cowboys. Um, oh. the, the, A, the, the, the food choices are obscenely good, and B, they give you post-game beers. They have oh, literally yeah. open up a tap for its Peroni, um, and it, it almost is like, I don't want to be done writing. I just want to keep writing and drinking beer. So yeah, I'm going Dallas Cowboys by far. Jerry, tip of the cap to you, my friend. That's a professional move by the Cowboys. I would expect nothing less, but that's the way you do it. I, I believe uh, at one point there used to be beers in the Xavier media room for scribes until a, a certain scribe got caught carrying a few cases out, spilling oh, out of his sakes. bag and into the hallway of 
Tip of the cap to Kenny Klein at Louisville too. He used to come around and give the he he did he he didn't have it open, but he as soon as the game was over and you got out of the press conferences and you sat down to write, he would walk around and hand them to you. I'm trying to think of the best food that I've had at a at a sporting event for press room. It's funny, believe it or not, this is going to sound crazy. I I like the Bengals pregame spread because I love their bacon. I, I just. It's crazy. You do love the crispy bacon. I do love me some Bengals crispy bacon on a Sunday after having a bad Saturday. Yeah, the Bengals usually do just like the, your standard uh, like hospitality breakfast spread before games. Yeah, I'm good uh, with those. Bacon, egg, uh, sausage. Yeah, the the the, 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 com- the the comfort in that you're like, yeah, this doesn't look right. But by God, that biscuit and the, and the little sausage patty and the bacon and powdery eggs, they hit the spot for some reason. Yeah, so they they do that, and then at halftime they do the skyline every time for lunch. Yeah, and I don't. I, I usually don't go up at halftime. I'm usually a yeah. too full from the breakfast I ate. B I'm usually writing at halftime. Yeah. Then to their credit, they give you a post game pizza now. So oh, that's they, nice. they, they do. They take good care of you. I, I give the Bengals a big tip of the cap in that regard. I don't, and I'm not complaining about this at all. I don't hear this as a complaint because I'll I'll eat it at the the crosstown shootout every year but i am not a big skyline guy when i'm out like working yeah i'm not even messy like it is right i'm not really trying to do that and then go work on my computer i I understand i can wash my hands but it's just not this it's just it sticks with you it's just not no that's what i'm saying i'm public and quickly and i'm usually i mean i eat the breakfast at like 11 o'clock i'm not going to have another meal at 2 30 i'm just not doing that and especially skyline because you're right it's just so darn filling that yeah i I usually pass on the halftime skyline yeah you know i tell you what i think the the, you can never go wrong with pizza. I remember at Dayton, I think, I don't know if it was Donato's or just a thin, crispy crust like it, uh, but they always just had pizza and, and it was nice. Well, I'll tell you what, Georgia was the first time I had a what at the time was Chick-fil-A, which nobody really knew about. And I remember that it was just literally a chick, it was a chicken sandwich in a, in a wrapper. It was the greatest chicken sandwich ever. And then they had Brunswick. Have you ever had Brunswick stew? No. Really good. And that was kind of your side dish was the chicken sandwich in Brunswick stew. That was, and it was really simple. They didn't, didn't have much fanfare to it, but it was always really good. I always enjoyed the trip to the trip to Georgia. Yeah. I mean, Xavier has the full spread. It used to be from um, the city barbecue. Now it's from Montgomery Inn, but they've got a full spread. I'm, I would never complain about. And, and I will say NKU back in the day, back when I did games on radio and, and covered them a little bit for the Enquirer, always uh-huh. had barley corns. Yeah. I'll have no comment on the okay. uh, NK arrangements. <laughs> it's, I said, it is I said, the I, I said back in the day. I said worst, back in the day. The, the, now they bring it in from the uh, the like place that wh- whoever has the concession stands. Aramark, maybe. Yeah, yeah whatever Aramark, that is. Yeah. And it is the worst pizza that you have ever tasted in your entire life. Like, and I, I'm of the opinion that there is no bad pizza. I actually just pretty much don't eat it for the most part. I was just like, saying, I'm kind of in that boat. Desperate. I'm kind of in that boat of there is no bad pizza, but okay. I eat frozen pizza. I have no clue. I I'll do eat Totino's one dollar pizza. Absolutely, this I'm with is you. somehow worse it. than that. I don't understand how they did it. It is the worst pizza you've ever had. That's funny. No, I love everyone at NKU. I'm not complaining. I enjoy my job, but it just is what it is. You have it just horrible it pizza. Right. It's an embarrassment. Um, it's it's embarrassing to have other people into the media room. That's the real thing. It's like people from other schools come and you're like, yeah, sorry about the pizza. It's not yeah, my fault. I, I, it's, it's not my call. It's yeah, just, I don't do sorry. That. Uh, yes. I, UC has had some, uh, they switch it up a little bit more. And I remember, I think they had like Penn Station for a while, or maybe it was yes, another they sub did. joint. Yes, but yeah, I think you're I, right. That was good. That was like nice to have a little Penn Station sub before a game. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. Yeah. 
All right. Well, that's all. That's all we've really got. I don't think there are any other questions. And I all think good. we've talked enough about food. So. All right. Good stuff. We will not have our Sunday podcast this week just because it's going to be a fluid situation with the NCAA tournament. We'll be back with that a week from Sunday. But of course, Rick and I will be back next week, midweek with another podcast. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope re-edition.